Thanks, you guys. That was, that was great music and so uh, thematically on point this morning. I don't know if, if you've been tuning in lately online or in person. We've been, we're in a series right now talking about the understanding, our understandings of God. Uh, the more than, the divine, the universe, the life force, energy, whatever word, higher power, everyone might have your own way of describing what you think exists beyond what you can feel or touch, what's behind all of this. We've been talking about it. Despite what maybe someone may have told you at some point, no one really knows what that is exactly, what it looks like, how it thinks. All we have are these conceptions of God. And this is news, I think, for some that maybe grown up in maybe more traditional understandings or, or um, uh, church environments where there was a very clear picture painted for you about what God is, looks like, how he thinks, acts, the fact that he's a he, like all, all this kind of stuff, you might have a, just a crystal clear picture of that. All of our understandings have come from earlier ancestral understandings. It's been passed on. We have these ideas. And there are a number of different ways that people conceive of God. So we're spending a number of weeks talking about some of the most popular conceptions out there. Because one conception of God might not resonate for you. I talk to people all the time. They go, ooh, when you start talking about God, I just bristle. I go, oh, do you believe that there could be something more out there? Yeah. Just not how the the wording that you're using. I don't like that. I go, oh, okay. What words do you like? And as I begin to talk, I begin to see inside their soul. They have a very kind of a different picture, a conception. A couple weeks ago, I explored one of the earliest conceptions of God, that of God as super being. It's like a, a, if you can imagine a Superman God that is all powerful, capable of doing anything, all knowing. It's like these, it's like Anything that you could imagine a, some entity having, I mean, every power, every superhuman trait, this God would have it. It's, a, it, it's one of the earliest conceptions. And I mentioned, you know, Homer would pray. One time he got in a pickle from the Simpsons, Homer Simpson, and he... And he, and he a great theologian, and um, and he 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 reaches up and he prays. I'm not much of a praying man, but uh, if you're out there, Superman, would you save me? Well, that that kind of is a picture of this conception of God. It's like Superman, come through for me. That week that I talked about that, I shared some stories that I had either heard or I had observed when it seemed like people's prayers were supernaturally answered. 
I, I couldn't deny it. I was witnessing it. And I had heard many stories of it. Like, <laughs> some people can, you know, completely dismiss this, but I know what I saw. I also shared some stories of disappointments when it seemed that, I mean, if there was ever a time that God should come through, uh, it was in those moments, and there was nothing. And it was heartbreaking. When you hold this conception of God as super being, that he, she, it, whatever out there is all powerful and all-knowing and capable of doing anything, and then God doesn't do what you're hoping or praying or expecting. It's common. It's a human struggle to find yourself trying to reconcile why. Why didn't you answer my prayer, God? I mean, of all the times, you freaking give that person a parking spot at the front of the mall during Christmas season, but you couldn't do that. Over the years, people holding this conception of God have found themselves wrestling and coming up with reasons, perhaps why God didn't answer their prayers. Why in times of absolute tragedy, God didn't show up and heal, fix, avoid disaster. Whether it was natural evils that were going on in the world, like tragic death and disease, natural disasters, things we might even call acts of God, why God seemed to just allow that to happen, or even moral evils, the suffering that has existed in our world, maybe more due to human malice and greed, why God didn't intervene then. They've come up with reasons to explain why suffering seems to have been allowed by God as super being. The fancy word for these explanations or reasons, they call them theodicies. And they've come up with a number of theodicies, explanations that have helped people deal with the heartbreak of an unanswered prayer, of a God that seems silent. Um, and I'll just mention a, a few of them. Like a, there's the soul-making theodicy. Sometimes the explanation goes, sometimes perhaps God allows suffering because the suffering does something inside humans that very, le very little else can, including building compassion, building character. Sometimes hard times produces good things, and perhaps that's why we roll through difficult times, produces something good. There's the reward in the afterlife theodicy that says, look it. Maybe the final chapter hasn't been written yet. Yes, those lives were cut down. Yes, that baby died way earlier than it should have. Yes, thousands of people have been stricken with cancer unfairly. But perhaps one day we will see in the afterlife when the score gets settled. Yes, those evil people that did all those harms seem to have gotten away with it. But one day, perhaps, God will make it right. And those people will have hell to pay. That's another theodicy. 
there's this suffering is mystery theodicy that has kind of just said maybe humans will never fully understand it all. Maybe this life force out there understands so much more than we do. And one day, when the pages get opened up, we will see why certain things happened that seemed so unfair, so unjust. And we'll go, oh, now that makes sense. You can see how some of these theodicies that people have wrestled out could help maybe bring comfort to someone who's sitting there going, God, you could have, but you didn't. Now I understand. Maybe, maybe there's good reasons. This morning I want to talk about another well-known theodicy that explains why there's perhaps some suffering in our world. And that it centers around what we would call human agency. And I, I, I want to unpack this, but I think it's easy to, to kind of explain it through just a story. Likely you maybe heard versions of the story. It's, it's, um, it's a story of a huge storm that descended on a small town. And it was deluge. Rain, nonstop rain. Before long, the flood, flood waters are rising. And there's a preacher in this small town. He's on the front porch of his church. And he's praying, God, would you deliver me? I'm trusting you. One of the townspeople comes paddling up in a canoe. Says, hey, preacher, get in the boat. This is getting bad. You got to get out of there. And he says, thank you, Bob. I appreciate that, but I I know God is going to deliver me. Heard this? Well, floodwaters continue to rise. Pretty soon, preacher's in the balcony, and he's praying, God, I need you to come through for me. Guy comes along in a motorboat saying, preacher, it's getting bad. The levee's about to break. You got to get out of here. Jump in the boat. He says, no, thank you, but I'm praying the Lord is going to deliver me. The levees break. The waters rise. Now, literally, the church is completely engulfed except for the steeple, and there's the preacher hanging onto that steeple praying away, God, now is your time. And from the clouds descends this helicopter. And he hears his voice out of nowhere. Preacher, grab the ladder. He says, thank you but God is going to save me. Understandably and probably predictably, the preacher drowns. And there he is in heaven waiting for an interview with God. If that's how this goes down, but that's the story. Sure enough, God grants him the interview and he says, God, I believed in you. I prayed for you. And God says, geez, pal, I gave, I sent a canoe. I sent a motorboat. I sent a helicopter. What more were you wanting? This is probably one of the clearest stories illustrating agency that I can think of. God, so this explanation goes, this super being God out there is entrusting humanity with responsibilities and what we call agency, the ability to act on his behalf 
to help answer the needs and the prayers of people on our planet. Perhaps that's God calling right now. (laughs) And sometimes the reason we have suffering in our world is because people choose to use their agency poorly. That perhaps when they could have responded to help a woman who's needing to move, they go, not my problem. While others go, I'm coming, Kyla. Let's go. Let's go. And all of a sudden, it's like this person shows up with angel wings, and it's like, oh my God. And we will say it sometimes, you are my answer to prayer. This is agency. This is an explanation, perhaps, of why suffering happens, and perhaps... On the flip side, how God does answer prayer. Only sometimes, maybe, humanity doesn't recognize in certain traditions that that is God, how God acts. Or that would be seen as an answer to prayer. Well, that's just humans. I remember good chunk of my life, I grew up with an understanding of God answering prayer, much like that preacher. I was raised in this understanding that when God moves, it is through the supernatural. So much of the spiritual journey was focused around trying to get my faith strong enough to believe and knowing the right words to pray, almost like incantations, you know, you get it right and wiggle your, whatever it is, and God can move. But then one day, someone, and I, I dealt with the heartbreak, and I've shared those stories. I dealt with a lot of heartbreak when watching when I needed God to move on behalf of a need that, man, if there was ever deserving needs, and I dealt with that heartbreak, then someone came along and explained this theodicy that said perhaps God is at work, as super being, is at work through the hands and feet of people. And that perhaps that is more the way that God is moving today. And I remember, you know, this might sound like, of course, but for someone that was so steeped in this other understanding of God as super being, I remember my eyes just being cranked wide open going, yeah, yeah. I remember going back into the Bible and looking for this, looking for this theodicy that says maybe God is expecting us to be his hands and feet. Maybe that's how he answers prayer. And all of a sudden, stuff just starts jumping out. I remember this passage in James the author saying, dear friends, do you think that you'll get anywhere in this, in this journey, in this life, this, this, this odyssey of spiritual exploration, if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, You come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half-starved. 
and you say, good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? That guy is shooting from the hip. He goes on. He says, do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God? And then I'm observing you complacently sitting back as if you had done something wonderful just because you're believing? Use your heads. <laughs> I love it. Great, great passage talking about this agency theodicy. It says, there's this expectation in this thing that you're not just winding up the right beliefs in your head. There's an expression. You are agents in this world to bring goodness. When I started seeing these passages and I began imagining that perhaps we were all agents of God that we could be, it renovated my spiritual journey. It breathed new life. I was a student pastor at the time, working at a different church. And I just began talking about this to these kids, going, you can be agents of change. I remember one summer taking a group, about 40 kids, high school, junior high and high school kids, down into the bowels of New York City. This was before the, the city had really been renovated. It was just a, a dark and dangerous place. We went on this humanitarian, what I would call a soup kitchen mission. We worked with this organization and it, it, it partnered us with a number of different organizations throughout some of the, the dark, seedy places and we just served. Remember serving soup, lunch in this rough area of the Bronx and watching these people coming through and watching these kids as they're, as they're helping and caring for people. I remember being in a Rikers Island prison, just simply talking with prisoners that had contracted AIDS. That was like, to feel the, the hands and feet of God, to be talking to people that hadn't had any exposure to the outside world, had been long forgotten, to see the smiles on their face when you said, I'm just here to talk to you. One weekend, um, we went into the, they called it Alphabet City. It's just a massive project. So big apartments, just low income, dangerous area. We teamed up with this organization. They'd roll in with this bus and half the, they'd get parked in this bus in a big park and half the bus, the side of the bus would just fold right down and out come these speakers and they'd start blaring this fun music. They, and these kids would pour out of these projects. There would be like hundreds and hundreds of kids just in it like this. And they would start getting the kids singing and dancing. We'd be doing games and uh, soccer and uh, you name it. And so for hours, we were out there 
playing with these kids. At the end of the day, these kids would be hanging all over our team. And our team, I'm saying, hey, we got to go. We got to get in the vans or whatever. And these kids are going, please don't go. Please don't go. And these uh, high school kids were just so impacted by the, by the good that they could do. In such a, it, to say you were the hands and feet of God today, they're going, I really believe I was. Oh, it was just so amazing. I, I just began looking for every opportunity I could to stir up their imagination to say, you are going to be someone's answer to prayer at some point. Are you awake to that? When we stepped out and started Friends Church, it was largely out of this theodicy that God can use you to make a difference in this world, that we that this whole thing started morphing and, 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 and taking shape. It was, it was this belief it, it, that your spiritual journey isn't just about winding up the right beliefs. It's just not about mental ascent. Oh, do you, do you believe right? Good. All right, well, you're done. No. That's just God talk. It's about a way of being in this world. So we start calling it taking water. And if you've been around very long, you'll know. And some of you have gotten sick of hearing, hearing that. that. That comes out of this thing. We take water. We're expressions. We're agents of God in this world. The spiritual journey became more about figuring out what is my unique water? What, is, what are the, the, the prayers that I'm to answer one day? What, what gifts and talents and resources do I have at my disposal that maybe the next person doesn't easily do? What is it, perhaps, that the universe is asking me to invest in? The church becomes more of, rather than just, oh, we're going to tell you what to believe. No, it becomes a place of inspiration that's saying, come on, to challenge, to inspire, to equip people to be responding when that call comes, when the nudge happens, when you see, wait a second, is this something I'm to respond to? In more traditional church environments, they weren't against this kind of thinking. Oftentimes, the language they use was, you know, this is just godly behavior. We act, it's a form of godliness. Doing things we believe that God would do in our world. But over time, you know, the question inevitably rose, really, what would God do in our world? Like, what kind of things does really matter to him? How does anyone really truly know what this invisible entity would prioritize in our world? Who knows? You'll find that over thousands of years, we've leaned on the stories of our ancestors, in our tradition anyways, in the Bible. We've gone back and we've seen the way that they talk about God and how how they describe his priorities, the things that would upset him, the things that would excite him. And man, when you start looking carefully into those stories, getting a real accurate picture of what God is like is confusing. Because there are stories in the Bible that seem to paint God in one way, 
Some, dist- some stories depict God as an angry God who is all about avenging his enemies. He was like this, almost an angry God, vengeful God, who had little patience, wanted to wipe out anyone who wasn't loyal to him, faithful. There's times where he would refer to the wicked. He had plans for the wicked. And it wasn't good plans. <laughs> you didn't want to be called wicked by God in certain passages of the Bible. Some verses would talk about God as a judge who was so fed up with certain kinds of people, he just wanted to punish them for their bad behavior. So you could understand if people were reading these stories and these passages, and if they were wanting to be godly, you can understand how easily it would be, how easy it would be for them to go, well, godliness is really calling out the wicked. And who are the wicked? Well, I have a good idea. And so we watch some people in their eyes and their estimation begin to pull out their megaphones and begin to call out those people who they think are detestable in God's eyes, who are broken, who are doing things they should never be allowed to do, wagging their finger, people they deemed sinful, telling them punishment is awaiting them. For people who perceive of God as as super being in this light, they might believe that their agency in this world is really about calling out everyone that's doing wrong in this world. And that's their form of godliness. And yet there's others who would look at other passages and go, well, just wait a second. What about this one? There's some passages that describe God as almost this gentle, loving father or like a a, a grandfather, grandmother figure who's long-suffering, who's merciful, who will never give up on anyone. This passage from Romans, it says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. No matter what you will ever do, God will always be in your corner cheering you on. Well, man, is that a different picture? Perhaps this is why so many, and I would put myself in this camp, gravitated to the image of Jesus. The story and the person of Jesus. Now, whether you believed in him to be God in the flesh, the son of God, or maybe just a a guy who seemed so connected to the divine, doesn't matter. To see the way he lived, the things that he talked about, his priorities, what mattered to him, it just seemed, and I'll speak for myself, when I watched him, I'm going, that there is a picture of what I think God matters to God. Kindness, gentleness, compassion, patience, justice. Man, Jesus, he wasn't judgmental of people who just seemed to be trying their best, maybe messing up. He, he had this ability to understand, and yet he wasn't elitist. 
He cared about the poor, the broken, the oppressed. He would stand up against those who were the oppressors, who were morally or spiritually corrupt, were abusing others. He, oh, I mean, everything about him. I'm just going, yeah, 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 right there. You want to know what God cares about? There it is. That's how I took it. So let me ask you a question. Which one is it? Which concept of God is the right one? Is it the angry, vengeful God? Because we got verses in the same Bible to point that out. The vengeful God who wants to wipe out all bad people, the pedophiles, the rapists, the corrupt politicians, the greedy Wall Street bankers, big pharma. God's angry, God's pissed off, God's saying, you're going to pay for that. Well, hmm. I wouldn't mind a little bit of that toward those guys. Or is God more like Jesus, a gracious, forgiving, patient, compassionate God? Probably the difficult answer to this question is no one knows. If God is a super being out there, what exactly, who does he mimic? Who does he look like? All we have is these perceptions, these stories. All the stories that have been written have been written by humans trying their best to conceive of the more than. And almost 100% of the time, at least when you start digging into theologians that go way back, almost 100% of the time, the ideas and the conceptions of God that we come up with are our own projections. When we talk about God, whether we realize it or not, we often are simply talking about a bigger, idealized version of ourselves of our own priorities. It's Karl Barth, famous theologian, who, says, who said, when we talk about God, we actually talk about ourselves only with a megaphone. That was a disturbing piece of information for me, that perhaps the God that I envision, that I perceive of, is kind of a reflection of my own values, the things that I believe and want. Sometimes God is just our own way of legitimizing our values and our ideals. And if you look around, you'll notice in people's language, God can bless our country. God will bless our tanks. God will bless our freedom fighters. If we want him to, we can believe that. God will condemn the terrorists we go to war against. Our God will condemn anyone who doesn't believe the same way we do. We can make that happen. You see what I mean? This is complicated. Religion becomes really problematic when we don't realize or we can't acknowledge that our perception of God is a perception. Do you hear what I'm saying? 
our perceptions don't prove God is that way. It's just our, our, our human struggle to understand it. And when our perception becomes so certain that we can justify our ideology, when we can justify our politics, our judgment of other people who think or act differently than we do, when we can so easily say, God does not approve of that, but he approves of this, with such certainty, it could be trouble. Religion at its best. Religion at its best refuses to use one's conception of God to justify any of this. And instead, it allows our conception of God to critique itself. To challenge our own beliefs of who is right and wrong. Who is clean and unclean. Who is spiritual and who isn't. Who needs saving and who doesn't. Religion at its best allows us to think deeply and to be introspective. Think deeply about our own beliefs and go, wait a second. Do I got this right? It creates humility because it acknowledges I cannot prove that my conception of God is the right one. So I'm open. I'm open to critique. It creates curiosity when it's at its best. It creates openness to other ways of seeing our world through different lenses that perhaps that which lies beyond might be looking at all of this. This, in my mind, is one of the greatest challenges of God as super being. Because this conception of God has over the years become so laden with certainty in people's minds where we describe this entity with such descriptors that when you say, oh, that's your conception of God, people go, no, no, no. Why are you saying conception of God? That is God. You go, oh, oh, oh. No, God does think this way. God feels this way. God is, like, oh, oh. That, this conception, super being, it is the easiest way to put God in a box and say, this is how you make God answer prayers. This is why God didn't answer that prayer. It's like God gets all figured out easily with this conception. Now, having said all that, though the theodicy of agency, this notion that I can be the hands and feet of God still resonates so deeply inside of me. And so much of what we're doing around here is leaning on this idea that our spiritual journey is an extension of the divine. The actions we take, 
Sometimes the money we give, the help we offer, is an extension of something deeply spiritual in our world. I will humbly say, can I prove it? I can't. I could be dead wrong. But here's my take. I'll err on that side. (laughs) I don't mind getting at the end of this race, people saying, "Ah, you were wrong. I go, well, we did a lot of good. But we don't know. So that's why the challenge behind this message, and even this theodicy of agency, though I believe in it strongly, is just to walk lightly. And we will say this about every week and every message we talk about, different conception, perception of God. Walk lightly. No one holds the proof as to what exactly is going on here. This week, when you look around and you hear about or see people saying or doing things that are expressions of their religion, perhaps they'll even use spiritual language that would suggest that perhaps God has told them to do things. Lighten up. Sometimes maybe that judgmental thing inside you says, no way. Walk softly. And if nothing else, at least understand how they can get there. Because we get there the same way. Next week, Vince is going to push further into this conception of God that's based on this notion that you truly can't know what exists out there. In fact, there are some really wise, wise people, mystics that have gone before us that refuse to talk about God. Because anything you talk about when you talk about God, it's way over our pay grade. So the, the, the question, the, the challenge becomes, how do you talk about that which cannot be known? 